Good morning. You may be seated. So let me share with you, before I greet you, the sense of humor that God has. Now, I've been sitting over here trying to organize myself because I'm in an unfamiliar territory. <laughs> in some kind of way, in all of my organization, I have taken my glasses and put them somewhere that I cannot find them. But are they on my face? Wow, that's scary. <laughs> Pray for me this morning. <laughs> so let's try this again. Good morning <laughs> to St. Michael's, to Lomax, and to any guests that are worshiping with us here today. I've been so looking forward to this Sunday morning opportunity for us to worship together. Uh, it is my first opportunity to worship with you all here in person. Um, at the St. Michael's Church. Um, over the years, we know that some of our members of St. Michael's and Lomax have developed relationships, especially between our senior ministry and your XYZ ministry. And I dare say that um, Rector Franklin, who I just call Beth now, has become actually the closest clergy colleague that I have in the Arlington community. And having both attended William and Mary, Beth as an undergrad, and my wife and I for grad school, and our son for grad school, it almost seems like God ordained the relationship. And so for today, we celebrate this opportunity to lean into what it means to be the body of Christ on this World Communion Sunday. Now, I will do my very best not to wear out my welcome by preaching too long, but I will tell you that I have edited this sermon as much as I can, and so please bear with me this morning. There is a word from the Lord today, so let's look to the Lord in the time that is ours. If you would with me, I would ask that you would turn, um, or you can look in your program bulletin at Habakkuk. Uh, I'd like to read it and uh, have us just center ourselves in that. So our reading comes from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Translation, which is also in your worship bulletin. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord... How long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen? O oh, cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. Chapter two, I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. 
It speaks to the end and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Let us pray. A wise and gracious God, we thank you so very much for this opportunity once again to gather in this sacred space. A sacred space, God, that you have created. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together as the people of God to hear a word from the God that we all worship. And so, God, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would come and have its way and inhabit these words that you have sent through your manservant. We pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in thy sight. For, Lord, you are my strength and my redeemer. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let me begin by asking you a provocative question. Do you ever get frustrated with God? I won't ask you to raise your hands, but if you are like me, I often find myself frustrated with God. I recently heard a pastor say that she lives between protest and praise. No, I'm not frustrated with God about my family, for God has given me a wonderful family. And I'm not frustrated with God about the church that I serve, for God has blessed me to serve as the pastor of a historic church in Arlington, Virginia, that has some really wonderful people in it. I'm not frustrated about my health because despite the fact that I don't regularly exercise like I should, I'm fairly healthy. I'm not frustrated about my friends because I have some really great friends, most of them from my college years. So then you may be wondering, what is the thing that causes me to often be frustrated with God? Well, I'm glad that you asked the question. The thing that causes me to often feel frustrated with God is the injustice around me that seems to go unaddressed by God. I'm especially frustrated with God when it comes to racism that permeates every fiber of our society, even as we celebrate the racial reconciliation work that Lomax and St. Michael's are doing to bring about the kingdom of God. The spiritual language of frustration inscription often comes in the form of a lament. Lomax, I'm going to ask you to indulge me because you've heard this lament before, but St. Michael's has not. It's a lament entitled A Lament for a Racist Nation, and I wrote it as a part of a continuing clergy education course that I took. And it sums up my frustration with God when it comes to racism in America. We are not a shining city on a hill. We are not United States. We are not God-blessed. We are the sons and daughters of the enslaved and the enslaving, natives and colonists, immigrants and immigrant deniers. We are haves and have-nots, inferior and superior, anti-racist and supremacist. They hate me because of any drop of melanin in me, whether I'm dark, cafe, golden, light, or could pass for white. They hate me because of the texture of my hair, the shape of my nose, the width of my hips, the rise in my butt. They hate me because of the pride in my walk, the vernacular in my talk, the way I refuse to balk. 
I'm too smart, I'm too stupid, I'm too arrogant and too docile, too athletic and too clumsy. I'm too successful and too dependent, too uppity, too ghetto, too much, too little. I'm too positive, too not negative, too greedy, too indifferent, too black and too not. I hate them because they hate me first. They hate me because I am not them. But aren't I human just like them? God, have you ever inhabited this nation? Do you inhabit this nation? Will you inhabit this nation? Does your spirit dwell in those who oppress? Does your spirit dwell in those who are oppressed? Does your spirit dwell in those who could care less? Heal this nation if we are your creation. Bridge the divides if they are not of your making. Create a new if you have the power to so do. Remember, I was created in your image. Remember, we were created in your image. Remember, they were created in your image. The light on a hill can still shine. United States can combine. God bless this nation can be. Let there be light, for it is good. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome the light. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Well, if you feel like me often frustrated that there is rampant racism and injustice in our society and our world, it does not seem that God is addressing it. Then Habakkuk is the prophet for you. And so for the rest of the time that is ours, I'd like for you to consider yourselves and consider the theme, there is still a vision. Yes, there is still a vision. There is very little known about Habakkuk. In fact, much that has been written by theologians about him and his backstory has been surmised. However, as one commentary noted, as a prophet, what we do know is that Habakkuk calls attention to and criticizes the miscarriages of justice in the political and economic institutions of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. Habakkuk is frustrated with God about the injustice all around him. Our text for today can be found in the first four verses of Habakkuk 1 and 2. At the outset of chapter 1 of our text, we are told that this is an oracle from the prophet Habakkuk. The word oracle means lift up or raise. An oracle is understood to be a communication brought to public attention, a message that is lifted up, a voice that is raised. Each of us has a voice just like Habakkuk did. The question is, are we lifting our voices? Are we raising our voices when we are frustrated about injustice around us? While Habakkuk lifted his voice, many theologians agree that his oracle is really more like a lament. A lament like the one that I shared with you a few moments ago. In Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 2, he says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? You know that, well you might not know, but those who are members of Lomax know that I'm a lifelong Commanders fan. Obviously, for most of my life, the Washington football team had another name. 
But since the time the team was sold by Jack Kent Cook after his death to Dan Snyder, for nearly 20 years, I've been crying out to God, how long shall I have to deal with this, Lord? Why won't you do anything about this ownership group that's killing my team? I'm beyond frustrated, but I refuse to walk away from my team. Like me, I'm sure there are those of you who have experienced and observed injustice around you for many years when it comes to racial and other social justice issues. Yes, you can see it all around you, much like Habakkuk could see it around him, such that it caused him to write in verse 3 of our text, Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. It would seem that Habakkuk, like we may feel, wanted to walk away from God, the God of Israel, the team for which Habakkuk was rooting. If we feel that we weigh sometimes, then we have this feeling in common with Habakkuk. What were the injustices that he was frustrated about? In his time, we know that he was concerned about the exploitation of the poor and the less privileged by the rich and powerful. You know, like the Brett Favre's of the world, a multimillionaire many times over who used his fame and connections with unethical politicians to access government funds that were supposed to help the poor, those who were on welfare. But instead, those welfare funds were used to build a volleyball arena. During Habakkuk's time, one commentary notes that there was also strife and contention in Judea with the judicial system, in part brought by their failure to administer justice properly. Justice is absent and the law seems ineffectual. I'm sorry for you if there are any of you who are supporters of the prior presidential administration, but I have to speak truth to power. If I took classified documents of any kind home with me from my job, it would be arrest me first and ask questions later. But a Trump-appointed judge says that there are unique issues at play when the former president is involved. Do you think she would have found the same unique issues if Barack Obama had taken classified documents home? I'm frustrated with our justice system. I'm frustrated that a former president engaged in a clear quid pro quo that was recorded nonetheless as it relates to Ukraine could not be convicted by our U.S. Senate. I'm frustrated by a former president who incited an insurrection before our very eyes as we watch CNN who was not convicted by the U.S. Senate. I'm frustrated that some political, some police officers, not all police officers, can continue to kill black and brown people in what should be unlawful uses of force, but are not held criminally responsible because of something in the law known as qualified immunity. I'm frustrated that, for the most part, white men are making abortion policy that will have a devastating impact on the lives of all women, especially black and brown women. And so I borrow the words of Rebecca in chapter 1, verse 4. So the law has become slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. We are living in a time of perverted justice. Yes, while Rebecca's complaint might not check all the boxes of a traditional lament, 
Most theologians agree that it sure sounds like one. It's as if Habakkuk is a worshiper who is in distress and appeals to God for divine aid. Is there anybody else there with me this morning? You see, folks who are smarter than me identify this as Habakkuk's frustration. How do we maintain belief in God's just rule in spite of an unjust world? How do we continue to believe that God is in control and that in the end, the unjust will get theirs? And more importantly, how do we live in a world when it's not clear that any of this injustice is going to get better? Well, God did not send me by today simply for us to lament about our frustrations with God and injustice in our world. God sent me by today to encourage you to know this. There is still a vision. And yes, despite our frustration with God at times and with injustice in our world, there still is a vision. In chapter 2 of Habakkuk, we find God's reply to Habakkuk's complaint. You, you should know that God's reply to Habakkuk is really in response to his second complaint, which is found at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. He has two complaints with God, but time won't permit us to deal with both of them. But what we do know is that in the second chapter, God replies to his complaints. Habakkuk begins in verse 2 of chapter 2 saying, I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. As a Methodist preacher... It is here that I find my first point. And for those who are not used to it, I'll have three of them. The first point is watch for the vision. While we may be frustrated with God, there still is a vision. And God says the first thing that we need to do is watch for the vision. It is easy when you are frustrated with God and society about the injustices that we see playing around us to say, I'm done with all of this. I'm done caring. I'm done lifting my voice. I'm done protesting. I'm done fighting. I'm even done complaining about it. It's easy to give up in utter despair. But Habakkuk says, even in this time of frustration with God and society, I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart whether he knew it or not, Habakkuk was watching for the vision to come from God. There was something in his spiritual DNA that gave him the faith to believe that God had a plan if he would just watch for it. Do you know that each of us has a watch post at which we are called to station ourselves? Habakkuk was standing watch at the post he was stationed. Our text says that his watch post was on the rampart. A rampart is a wall that forms a defensive barrier. My brothers and sisters, as people of God who are tired of injustice around us, to stand on the watch post, to be in position, means that we have to be stationed in a defensive posture as it relates to the injustice we see around us. We cannot give up. We have to watch for the vision. Habakkuk says that he will keep watch to see what God will say to me and what God will answer me. Beloved, you are standing watched for God to give some insight 
about where we find ourselves in society because God is the only one who has the vision for what we are facing. Well, you might be asking, what is the basis for me saying that only God has the vision for addressing and resolving the injustice around us? My basis is found in verse 2 of our text, where we see that the Lord answered Habakkuk and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. It is here that we find our second point. As we watch for the vision, when the vision comes, we have to write the vision. Write the vision because there is a vision for our time. Vision comes from God. And I may say that I am thankful that vision only comes from God. Because only God can share God's divine plan for our future. I cannot speak for you, but I would not follow the vision that does not come from God. Humans can be vessels of God's vision. Humans can affirm God's vision. But only God's vision can come from God. So the vision has to come from God and be shared by God. Perhaps we spend too much time complaining like a Becca and me about injustice around the world. What if we got in position, stood on the watch post, stationed ourselves, watched with expectation for God to say something to us, and then when God shares the vision, we make sure to write the vision, not strategic plan the vision, nor alter the vision, nor keep God's vision to ourselves. Lomax and St. Michael's, as much as we are concerned about injustice, what have we done to get in position to watch for God's vision? Maybe we've been talking too much and, and doing too much instead of watching for God's vision. Time won't permit me to deal with whether verse 2 should be understood as write the vision so that a runner may read it, which is what the NRSV says, or write the vision so that whoever reads it may herald it wherever they run, which is what the NIV says. But both translations agree on this. God's vision must be clearly written down so that there is no confusion about what God says. Our commentary adds this, make it plain. Habakkuk says, yes, watch for the vision and write the vision. As I prepare to close, before I wear out my welcome here and I'm never invited back again, Habakkuk says, for there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks to the end and it does not lie. It is important what, it is not important what the vision was for Habakkuk's time. Why? Because his vision that he received is not gonna be a cookie cutter vision for our time. No, our text says that there is still a vision for the appointed time, and it speaks to the end, and it does not lie. There is a vision for our time to address the injustice in the system of America, where there is a different standard for the powerful and the powerless, for the rich and the poor, for presidents and the people. There's a vision for our time to address the criminal justice system, the unjustified killing of black and brown people, and the unlawful use of force plaguing our nation. There is a vision for our time to address persons whose foreparents were immigrants fleeing political oppression, 
who now think it's okay to put people on buses and fly people to Martha's Vineyard, New York City, and Washington, D.C. There is a vision for our time to address misplaced theocratic politicians, so-called Christian nationalists, who mistreat immigrants, who are pro-birth but not pro-life, who could care less about those who are on the margins of society. God says there is still a vision for the appointed time, and it speaks to the end, and it does not lie. And it is in verse 3 that we find our third and final point. After we watch for the vision, after we write, after we watch for the vision, the last thing that we need to do is wait for the vision. That's what it says in verse 3. When it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will come. It will not delay. But what is the difference between watching for a vision and waiting for a vision? Well, watching for a vision has to do with expectation. You're expecting something to happen. Waiting for a vision has to do with duration. You're waiting for what you expected to happen. Can I say that again? Watching has expectation tied to it. Waiting has duration tied to it. As frustrated as Rebecca got, and I get, and many of you all get, with God seeming to not move fast enough, sharing his vision, God says, wait for the vision. Even when it seems delayed, wait for the vision. It will come. Wait for the vision. It will not delay. Wait for the vision. It will come in God's time. On this Communion Sunday, all around the world, Christians are celebrating communion. As one commentary notes, Habakkuk's challenge of living faithfully between the promise of justice and its fulfillment in Judea is appropriated and applied to Christians today. It's the experience of living between the announcement of the kingdom of God in the life and preaching of Jesus and its actual establishment on earth. For thousands of years, Jewish people were waiting for the vision to be fulfilled, that the Messiah would come. For thousands of years, Jewish prophets like Habakkuk and others wrote the vision so that the Jews would understand the plan of God. For thousands of years, it had to seem like forever to the Jewish people who were waiting and are still waiting faithfully for the vision to be fulfilled. But in their waiting, they missed the fulfillment of the vision that came in Jesus Christ. And let me be clear, we know from scripture that our Jewish brothers and sisters have not been left out of God's plan. But as Christians, thanks be to God that we did not miss the fulfillment of the vision represented in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. For there still is a vision for the appointed time. In this time, the vision against injustice can be found in Jesus Christ. It speaks to the end and it does not lie. Jesus' body was broken because he came saying that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus' blood was shed because he came saying he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus died for all the injustices in the world so that resurrection can happen in our society. 
And so let's stop being frustrated about injustice around us as we come to receive the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Let us know there is still a vision for the appointed time. Watch for the vision. Ask yourself, how would Christ have me to respond to injustice? Write the vision. Ask yourself, what would Christ have me to say to respond to injustice? Wait for the vision. Ask yourself, Christ, how long before I can put your vision to be a place of full realization in the world around me? And so I just stop by to say to you, Lomax and St. Michael's, there still is a vision on this world, Communion Sunday. God bless and amen.